Blog Talk Radio. Hey everyone, welcome to Girl Power Hour. I'm Annette Bingham and Tasha Humphreys here with me. Hello everyone. <laughs> Are you there? Did you go away? <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Wednesday again and we're here for the hour and we're going to be talking about codependency and uh Actually, some of the things from Melody Beatty's book, Codependent No More. But um, I know there's uh, some things that time change has kicked everybody's butt. Oh, my gosh. It's killing me. Yeah. Well, yeah, I can't seem to go to sleep either, and that's unusual for me because usually I'm like 9 o'clock, I'm ready for bed, but. I know. Oh, well, like last night I went to sleep. I laid down. I thought, oh, I'm exhausted. I had a long day. And plus, you know, you get up. I mean, I don't care what time it says on the clock. I know that it's actually an hour earlier. So, like, whenever right. I get up, you know, I'm exhausted. And then I, I'm working all day and painting and writing and doing all this stuff. And then at the end of the day, I'm wiped out, you know, it mentally wiped out, physically wiped out. And I thought, I'm just going to go to bed early. And then I just was lying there for the next three hours, yeah, just you know, there. because it was yeah. so early. Yeah, I just couldn't sleep. Oh, it's horrible. Doesn't work. Well, yesterday I had nothing but technical problems on the computer. I think I vented to you about that. And um, finally last night I decided, okay, I'm just going to update my computer to Windows 10. So it updated overnight and then I was setting things up this morning. And they have that thing called, is it Katana? Is that how you pronounce it? Cortana. Okay. Cortana. The, uh, She's my assistant. Yes. Yeah. The um, whatever she is. She's like the Siri of Windows. <laughs> and so she was she wanted to know what to call me. I thought, well, heck. This could be fun. So I was thinking things like master and I thought, you yeah. know, that's a little rough. <laughs> So I decided on Creative Goddess. I like that. I like Creative Goddess. Creative Goddess. And now she yeah. says, what can I help you with, Creative Goddess? <laughs> it's like, yay, this is awesome. <laughs> finally. Finally, your moment has come. I know. Somebody recognizes who I am. But, uh, yeah, that was kind of fun. <laughs> but during the time that I was like, in the throes of wanting to throw my computer across the room, I read an article, and it was really cool because it was like 10 seconds to a better day. And I thought, no, you can't do that in 10 seconds. And I read the article, and it was so simple that when you wake up in the morning, you say, this is a beautiful day, or this is a wonderful day. Not, I'm going to have a wonderful day. I bet this is going to be a great day. But this is a wonderful day. And it reminded me that I was um, I was talking to a client. I did a house clearing for a client this week. And we were talking about intention. And that's all that is. is yeah. You're intending to have a good day. Not that you hope it is or it may be or... You know, whatever. So yeah, I was I was excited about it and I thought, okay, now I'm gonna have to try that. I didn't try it this morning. 
but I am I'm going to start trying that and see if like ten seconds can really set the mood for the day. Yeah, I bet it can. Nice, I'm going to try that too. Sure. I mean, I can't see why I wouldn't. I could certainly ruin your day to start out saying the opposite. So yeah, sure. I think that's a great idea. So everybody, when you wake up in the morning, say, "This is a beautiful day," or "This is." You know, I feel wonderful, or even if you don't know yet because you haven't even gotten out of bed. <clears throat> but just, you know, because when I get out of bed, sometimes I don't feel so wonderful. Like, I have two dogs and a cat, and it's, I can't straighten out. <clears throat> so, so, oh, you yeah. need a sleep number bed for your animals. No, I need a separate bedroom, and just, I usually <laughs> lock them out of the bedroom. Is what I need to do, but I don't because I feel bad. But mm, anyway. I can't because I can't sleep Could without it? mine. They're like my uh, they're like my security blankets. I think I can't sleep without them. Well, could it be I'm codependent and you're codependent? <laughs> could be. It could be. I, I think maybe we're segueing into our topic today quite nicely. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to talk about codependency. And I was a codependent and still slip into that mode occasionally, not as often as I used to be. But um, super easy to slip back into it. Um, oh, my goodness, yeah. If you're, yeah, if you're not aware. So I'm going to turn it over to you, Tasha. And you did. Oh, and by the way, I want to thank Tasha. She has been just going like a crazy woman, booking guests and planning shows, and I'm sitting here just going, okay, I'll type it in. (laughs) (laughs) I'm not doing much of anything. So she's doing all this. Oh, my goodness. Yes, you are. Jeez Louise. You know, and I will thank you as well. I will take that thank you, and, and you're welcome, but I will give you one as well because I love that you open the shows and you close the shows and everybody knows your voice is like butter. And people always talk to me about how calming your voice is and how amazing it is. And honestly, the fact that you keep the Facebook up to date and, are, and, and you guys are always welcome, listeners out there, to go to our Facebook and like it. We, we certainly want to grow that. Um, Facebook.com backslash Girl Power Hour. Um, you... You keep that updated, and let me just tell you, that's a huge thing for me because, as you well know, I'm updating enough. I can't really handle one more thing. So thank you. Right, I right. appreciate that. Well, thank you. you. And I did change pictures and everything, so yes. um, oh let us know what you think about the new picture. I kind of yeah. like it. But yeah, anyway, okay, codependency. Okay, so let me just start by saying we had a listener write in, and I think I mentioned this last week, but... She actually wrote into us, and I'm going to say it again because I cannot apologize enough. Um, she wrote into us a year ago, but we were off the air at the time. We weren't doing the show, and so we, for some reason we weren't notified, which you think we would have been because we still had the page, but on Facebook right. we were the message. But somehow neither of us were never notified of that, and in fact we had received a new message as we uh, – got back on the air from a new listener and that's how we were notified that we had two messages one of which was from last year and one from this year so it really threw us both off and we're very sorry to that listener out there apologies again um but 
nonetheless, the, the question and suggestion and situation that she was discussing was important then and is important now and will continue to be, and it certainly made for a great topic for our show, so we wanted to go ahead and use it. And Of course, I did speak to her and got her permission to do that, and hopefully she's listening to us today. Um, we had this listener write in, and she was uh, she was dealing with something that was causing her a great deal of pain and frustration, and uh, Annette and I both had struggled with codependency in our lives, so we, we totally relate. Um, she had an ex-boyfriend at the time who was an active addict. This is when she wrote in. Um, and she'd left him, but she was still trying pretty desperately to help him, um, you know, because she loved him, and she was watching him self-destruct, which is very difficult to do. For anyone who loves anyone, it's hard to watch and not do something. So she had requested, you know, the help of his family um, to try to get, do an intervention. If you don't know what an intervention is, um, which most people do now since the show came out, intervention, but um, it's basically where you, you know, organize with the family and close friends and a helping professional of some sort typically needs to be an addiction counselor. Um or at least a medical doctor, who can sit in on it. You, you basically organize this where people are there at the person's house or at a house that they've been invited to, and then the addict arrives, and then you basically intervene and talk to them about how their actions and addiction has affected you as individuals and as a family. Each one of you have a turn to speak, um, hoping that it will cause the addict to realize that they do indeed have a problem, because remember, they are in denial. Um, and then at that point, you should already have a bag packed and a treatment center ready and the helping professional there to help book them into it. So there's no time to change their minds. You have to catch them in that point of contemplation. Well, she already had that set up. She had the treatment center and everything ready to go. She had all the people lined up to sit in on the intervention, but the family backed out. Of course, this was very frustrating for her. I understand that frustration, so let me go into my story for a minute and uh, and just express how I do understand this and how I came to learn about what this is. Um, I experienced addiction throughout my entire life, as you well know, Annette, and many of the listeners who've heard us before know that as well. My mother was an addict. You know, my grandfather was an alcoholic. I've come from a long string of addicts and alcoholics. It's a generational thing for sure in my family. And, of course, as a result, I dated quite a few as well. And uh, one in particular was a very damaging situation for me. And when I left that situation, I uh, went into – I was already in school to get my psychology degree, but I went into a minor, a new minor. I tacked on a substance abuse minor. And I landed in a class called the Family Dynamics of Addiction. How fitting for me to land in this class. And it was not something I planned. It was actually the only class that was still offered – and I needed it. I didn't even know about the substance abuse minor just quite yet. I was uh, actually trying to look for another psychology class, and I ended up in this one. I was wanting something that had to do with addiction, and that's how I ended up there. It was certainly a meant-to-be thing. And, of course, sitting in there, I thought, you know, I'm going to get as much information as I can about addiction, and and I'm going to present this to his family, and I'm going to present it to him, and I'm going to change this. I'm going to help this guy. I'm going to prove my point. You know, I... uh, I was really set on being in there for them, you know, for, for him and his family. And Dr. Carl Anderson, who is lovingly referred to as Dr. A by everyone that knows him, um, he's the man that actually started the Center for the Study of Addiction and Recovery at Texas Tech University. 
um, which is our local university here in Lubbock, and he was teaching this course. And I remember vividly, it was one of those, you know, aha moments. I hadn't gotten to the aha part yet, uh, but he stood up in the class the first day and he said, you may well think you know why you're here. Now, if you know Dr. A, you, you know he has a very strong West Texas accent. So you may well know by, why you're here. You may think that you do, but you don't. But by the end of the semester, you will. I mean, I remember him saying those words very clearly. I didn't think much of it at the time. It just, it just hit me because I thought, oh, I know exactly why I'm here. I'm here to figure out exactly what's going on with my ex-boyfriend and fix him. So during the semester, you know, we not only covered all the dysfunctional family roles, um, which we'll cover in another show, and we've covered in past shows. Um, you can always look them up if you don't know what those are, but I certainly fit into them. We covered aspects of my childhood that greatly damaged me emotionally and how I then was seeking out, you know, what was familiar based on what felt like home, what I knew, which was, of course, addiction. So um, these addicts that I had, you know, ended up dating, they looked very familiar and in that way were comfortable because I knew how to navigate in that sort of chaos. And then we covered one very important term, which I had yet to hear of, and it completely shifted my focus and changed my thoughts on why I needed to be in that class. And that term was codependency. And uh, it was not long after we discussed that topic that I knew exactly why I was in that course, that I wasn't there, in fact, to help these other people. I was there to help me and to figure out just how codependent (laughs) I had become, and interestingly enough, I had already struck up a new relationship with yet another addict who I would be in with for about four years and and would continue to struggle with codependency throughout that because I had yet to get counseling. And, and honestly, just a class in codependency is in nowhere, it's nowhere near enough to tackle the actual codependency itself. So going back to our listener situation, I totally get where she was coming from because I was in those exact same shoes um, twice and in both situations trying to get the family on board in both situations doing whatever I could basically putting my life away so that I could help this other guy's life you know not even really thinking about myself obsessing over it compulsively just constantly trying to figure out how I could help this person um, let me also say just in her to her benefit you know just everyone knows she has already realized this and she's already gotten help She's healing and growing, and um, she's actually landed a new position helping those who want help. So kudos to her because, Annette, you and I both know that's not easy to do. And so the fact that she was able to see that as an issue and get help for it, man, that's awesome. Bravo. Yeah, yeah, Um, absolutely. So, you know, just real quickly before we go into it, I just want to say, you know, a lot of people out there don't know what codependency is. So let me just define it. And then, Annette, I'd, I'd like for you, if you'd like, to, to touch on your some of your stuff, some of your experiences mm-hmm. with it, if, if you'd like. Um, yeah. But codependency has multiple definitions. Um, you know, it, it's all based on experience and education theories. I mean, different people have different thoughts on it, depending on what, you know, school they come from. If it's psychology, counseling, addiction, they're all going to have a different feel about it. But, you know... As you mentioned, we're referencing Melody Beatty's book, Codependent No More. If you struggle with this, if you know anyone that struggles with it, um, if you yourself grew up with a codependent parent, if you have any desire to get more information, this is a great book to have. If you're a helping professional, I highly recommend it. Um, In fact, I feel like 
it's a necessity for you to have um, if you're a helping professional because it's certainly something you need to know for your clients. Um, but she gives, Melody Beatty gives a great definition um, and she, there's a couple of things I'll touch on with the definition before we get to your stories and that because I, I do want to hear that and I know our listeners do as well. A codependent person is one who has let another person's behavior affect him or her and who is obsessed with controlling that person's behavior. Um, now, of course, lots of people's you know, behavior affects us. That's not necessarily the issue. We, we can be affected by something. But the, the idea that as a result of being affected, and it's not just like their daily behavior that should, in fact, affect you. If someone robs me, obviously that's going to affect me. <laughs> that's a behavior that affects me. But if it's their behavior that really shouldn't have anything to do with you, but somehow it's affecting you and you're wanting to change it, and that's the key part is that you're obsessing over controlling it, that's where the codependency is. Um, she goes on to ask, you know, is codependency an illness? And some professionals, you know, say that it isn't a disease. Some professionals say that it is. The ones that say that it isn't, I thought this was really great because I, I, I kind of understand this. They say it's a normal reaction to abnormal people. And I get that because I, I understand that for me, codependency was something I was kind of lined up to do. I mean, quite honestly, it was, uh, you know, I was born around so much of it that it was it was already in me and it was something that I had to unlearn. It was a learned behavior and I was having to unlearn it. But there are people out there who don't have that sort of background and they end up, you know, becoming codependent because they're in a situation that's abnormal and chaotic and they don't want to be and it's it's a pretty normal reaction to an abnormal situation. It's just you've got to, you know, become self-aware about it and, and work to stop it because it can certainly be damaging, more damaging than certainly the other person. Um, but then she goes on to say other professionals say codependency is a disease. It's a chronic progressive illness. They suggest codependents want and need sick people around them to be happy in an unhealthy way. They say, for instance, the wife of an alcoholic needed to marry an alcoholic and chose to be with him because she unconsciously thought he was an alcoholic. Furthermore, she needed him drinking and socking it to her to feel fulfilled. Well, I don't know how that resonates with you, but I know that I've heard that often in the past. I even heard many times and still sometimes do say, you know, the codependent is sicker than the addict because the codependent is not they're not drunk and they're completely sober and yet they're still involving themselves in the chaos and the insanity. However, I agree with what she says in her next statement and I want to make this statement before we go on because I think it's important for others to hear, especially those struggling. This latter judgment may be overly harsh. I'm convinced codependents need less harshness in their lives. Other people have been hard enough on us. We have been hard enough on ourselves. Friends, we have suffered enough. We've been victimized by diseases and people. Each of us must decide, decide what part we played in our victimization. And I do love that. That's good. Very good. And I do, before we, you know, I do want to say to listeners out there, if, if, you, if any of that resonates with you, if, if you have opinions either way, um, share them with us. We'd love to hear from you, and we would certainly love to hear it. We'd love to do another show on it. I mean, it's it's great. So if you have any opinions about um, the definition of it, about the whether or not it's a disease, whether it's a, a normal reaction to abnormal people, whatever your thoughts are on it, please share with us. You can do that on our Facebook page. Again, that's facebook.com backslash girl power hour. Awesome. And so, Annette, yeah, you had some... I, yeah, I... I... 
I grew up um, in a in a good home. You know, I mean, it was it was a good home. My my mom was uh, pretty much my rock. Um, but I I noticed that as I started looking back, when I started realizing that I was codependent. I started looking back at my life, even as a, a youngster, and I would do everything I could to not rock the boat, um, to try to control things by um, doing exactly what somebody wanted me to do. Um, I didn't want to make people mad. I didn't, you know, there was just so much. And then when I got married, um, he was not always a nice person. Let's put it that way, and very <clears throat> irrational at times. He wasn't. Uh, I found out later that he had some addictions, but um, didn't realize it fully at the time. And I would just do everything I could to make things right. You know, if he came home mad at somebody and I I would say, well, that was, that was wrong. They shouldn't have done that. And then he would be mad at me for being mad at him. And it was just, I, I grew up, I, I mean, after I was married and had kids, I, I was codependent on my kids. You know, I needed them around. I needed to have them around. And I needed to have family around, and it was it was just such a uh, I lost my identity, I lost my self esteem, I lost my power because everything revolved around my husband and my kids. Mhm. And I think we lose ourselves when we get into codependent relationships. And we are, we accept abuse as normal because we don't deserve better. Well, if I had done this, then they wouldn't have done that. Right. You know, and that's that's pretty much where I was. And I um, went to counseling and the counselor actually suggested I go to this uh, 12-step codependent program so that I could really be aware that I'm not the only one suffering from this and, and dealing with this. And um, So that's what I did. I went to a 12-step program and learned an awful lot about codependency mm-hmm. and ways to deal with it and then would talk to the counselor about what I had learned and we would come up with plans. And, you know, it got to the point where I finally was able to leave the situation. But then even after I left, I still found that codependency with, you know, my kids and Mm -hmm. uh, trying to do everything, everything, even if it wasn't my job to do you know, um, just to make it better for them. And right. that's probably where I fall back into that codependency more 
uh, more in my mind now than actually doing the things. Um, mm-hmm. Like wanting to fix something. Well, I have no control over it. You know, I'm, how can I fix something for my, you know, 40-year-old? You know, what can I do? <laughs> How can I fix something for my, you know, my two married kids that, you know, have kids? I, there's no way. It's it's their journey now, and um, right. um, doesn't matter how much it hurts. Um, I find myself still wanting to step in and do that. But right. I I can I'm better. I'm better. <laughs> Yes, you are, and you did a lot of work to get better, and that's the key. And, I you know, did. you bring up a good a good point with parenting because we talk about this today. You know, we're talking about relationships, but, it, of course, it applies to parenting. Of course it does because, you know, mm-hmm. a big issue in addiction, a big reason people stay sick, you know, and they don't get help and it doesn't stick is not necessarily just because, obviously, they have a disease and maybe they haven't learned life skills and all of that, but a big part of it is enabling and the chief mm-hmm. enablers are always codependents, typically mm-hmm. parents, but also spouses and, you know, significant others, but typically parents right. that have done and continue to do and continue to fix and continue to rescue rather than letting this person grow and, and have their own journey and fall to that rock bottom that they have to hit before they'll know they need help. Right. Right. Um, and speaking of that, just, just as a, little piece of shameless self-promotion. Um, I do write for Stages of Recovery. You can go to stagesofrecovery.net if you want to know what that's about. But I did write recently the Codependent Fable, a learning to let go version. And you can check that out at www.stagesofrecovery.net backslash recovery. Um, for anyone out there struggling with codependency or even if some of this is already resonating with you, you might want to read that because that particular fable certainly resonated with me when I heard it mm-hmm. years ago in counseling. And boy, did it change the way I saw things. And so sometimes it's just kind of important to put a visual on a situation and really get an understanding of it. And I, I speak in analogies all the time, sometimes to the point that I annoy people, but it really it really worked for me. So if it if it's something you feel you might want to look into, by all means look at that because it, it struck some chords with some, some readers for sure. Um Annette, thank you for sharing that. And you know, I just I wanna say too and to our listener out there, you know, one key thing that codependence in any person out there recovering from any situation, whether it be, you know, addiction or uh, eating disorder or codependency or growing up as an adult child of an addict and alcoholic, which is another one of mine, it's all about progress. It's not about perfection. We're, we're going we're gonna to struggle. We're going to have those days where it's difficult for us. We can't, you know, we can't beat ourselves up for that. We just have to continue to look at our progress and continue to grow. Um, kudos to your growth, Annette. Um, I wanted to read just briefly. I can't cover all of this, and I again, I highly recommend that everybody get this book, Codependent No More, by Melanie Beatty. It's a, it's been around for years, um, more than I five million copies of it. I read it when I was going through. Yeah, yeah, I read it. Yeah, years ago. Mm-hmm. As did I. Painfully, I might add, because there's nothing harder than looking at yourself. I mean, it's real easy to sit around and look at everybody else, but when you have to sit down and look at you, whoo, 
That's tough. And reading that book, it was like, ouch, ouch, ouch. Pretty much every page, you know, was just speaking right to me. I mean, she's gentle, but it's still, it's tough stuff, you know, because you're looking at you and you realize the parts you have to change and, and the part that is you. And But again, I mean, change is life. Change is living. If you don't change, we die. So we have to continue to grow. And I want to point out um, her codependent characteristics that she lists and just say really quickly that I cannot, again, cover them all. If you want to read more, by all means, go get her book. Um, It's very good and certainly important for everyone to have, but most importantly, helping professionals need this one for sure. Um, I'm just going to go over the topics and then I'll touch on a few of the things that she lists. Um, But these are the codependent characteristics. Caretaking, low self-worth, repression, obsession, controlling, denial, dependency, poor communication, weak boundaries, lack of trust, anger, which we're going to come back to that one in a bit because anger is a gift. So we're going to come back to that one. Just remember that. Sex problems. And then there's some miscellaneous items I'll touch on as well. Um, but when we, I want to come back to the caretaker part. Because a lot of people hear that word, caretaker, and they think, oh, that's a good thing to take care of people. That's good. That's what we're supposed to do. And to be honest, I mean, there are codependent men out there just as there are codependent women, so I am by no means saying that this is a female issue. It is not. I've met many codependent men, many addicts and alcoholics are codependent as well, so that is not, um, it is not a female issue. It is a human issue. However, women are often taught to be caretakers, and they are often taught to do whatever it takes, you know, to be nice, to go along, to get along, to keep their anger inside, to not express that. Don't say anything. If you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. I mean, all of that stuff is something that, Many of us as women were programmed to think, feel, or do. Caretaking is one of them. So I want to touch on why that might be a little bit more than just taking care of someone. It's one thing to take care of your children. It's another thing to be a caretaker. Um, And here's a few things that stand out. Feel anxiety, pity, and guilt when other people have a problem. So in that situation, you're not just taking care of someone. You're taking on their problems. You're taking on their feelings and taking on their issues. Feel compelled, almost forced to help that person solve the problem, such as offering unwanted advice, giving rapid fire series of suggestions, or fixing feelings. Now, I can often be accused of this one, but that just boils down to me being bossy, a.k.a. a good leader. Because um, <laughs> I often tell people what they, what they don't necessarily want to hear. Um, lots of times, you know, as a friend, you always want to when you're being an honest friend, if somebody is struggling with something and you can see it, it's kind of like ignorance is bliss. Someone with a counseling background like myself, there are people that could come to other people and say the same thing and the ignorance that other person might have about that particular situation leaves them blissful. They don't offer any advice because they don't know. But it's kind of like when you go to a, a heart specialist and you tell them that you're having, you know, heart chest pains and uh, there's numbness in your arm and Uh, that heart specialist is probably going to be like, you need to go to the doctor immediately because you're having a heart attack. You know, well, I'm, it's sort of the same thing for a helping professional. And I know helping professionals out there are agreeing with me hundred percent that when somebody comes to you with a clearly very, very, very vivid problem, something that's really needs professional help and they're telling you about it, 
you can't really it's, it's difficult to separate the hats there it's like you can't counsel them of course but you also as a friend are enlightened with or educated with the information that you need to give them and it would also it would almost be unethical and certainly not a friend to not tell them but um but the difference between the two is that if you sit there and counsel them that's codependency if you tell them hey I think you need to see a counselor. That isn't. So there's the difference in those two. I'm just making that clear. Um, and then you feel angry when the help that you offer isn't effective, or more, more importantly, when they don't, they don't take your advice. Um, there's more to that. So I, again, if you want to reference the book, by all means, get it. You can reference some of this online as well. But those are the key elements of caretaking I wanted to make sure that people understand. It's not just taking care of someone, but it's taking on the problems and trying, sitting around compulsively, obsessively trying to figure out how to fix them when they're not even yours to fix. Um, the low self-worth piece, I think, is pretty uh, self-explanatory. Repression, however, is that you push your thoughts and feelings out of awareness because you feel fear or guilt, kind of like what you said, you know, and that you, you would just kind of, regardless of what you were feeling or needing or whatever, you didn't speak any of that. You just repressed oh, that and worried that. about your husband. <clears throat> mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. you become fearful, you know, to even be who you are because, you know, it's not about you. Like you said, you lose your identity. So then the other piece of that, of course, is obsession and, um, People know what that is. You're just sitting around obsessing about the problems and the person and what they're doing. Controlling, denial, you uh, ignore the problems or pretend they aren't happening. Like you said, he had addictions that you didn't realize probably because you didn't want to. You know, the same thing. is It's one of those situations where you're just kind of in denial about it because that's one more thing you mm-hmm. don't really want to look at. Um, well, dependency is an obvious one. The- I didn't. I didn't know what the addictions were. I mean, I sure. I didn't know. <laughs> I mean, this mm-hmm. was just. I was very naive. Yeah. At yeah. That point in time, so it was like. Mm-hmm. Okay, I didn't know. Yeah. Um, and then poor communication. You know, I've talked about and we'll talk about again at some point. But I, I mentioned them last week. Were the deadly habits and caring habits. And if you remember, and if you don't, you can always go back to our archive shows and. And listen, but um, deadly habits are a big key factor with codependence. Uh, Poor communication include those deadly habits. That is blame, threaten, coerce, beg, bribe, advise. Uh, Don't say what they mean. Don't mean what they say. Um, Don't take themselves seriously. Ask for what they want and need indirectly, like passive-aggressively. Sighing, Mm -hmm. for example, rather than just saying what they want find it difficult to get to the point, aren't sure what the point is. Um, there's all of these listed, but they're very much the same as the deadly habits. And deadly habits, like I said, if you don't remember them, you can go to our archive shows and uh, just look at last week's show. Um, but deadly habits obviously kill a relationship. So something that we all need to learn. And, and the caring habits are also listed, so you'll know the opposite. And they have weak boundaries. Um so they say they won't tolerate certain behaviors from other people, but then they, of course, do. <laughs> um, it's like, you know, they don't really, there's no follow through on a lot of that. Um, you can continue to read all of these if you pick up the book. But I want to touch really quickly um, on the miscellaneous items that she mentioned at the end. Be, being extremely responsible, which is over-responsible, you know, for someone else or someone's feelings. Um and then at the same time, being extremely irresponsible in their own life. 
So they're responsible mm-hmm. in every other area of other people's lives, but irresponsible in their own. Um, they become martyrs, sacrificing their happiness and that of others for causes that don't require sacrifice. Um, and they find it difficult to feel close to people, find it difficult to be fun and spontaneous, and have an overall passive response to codependency. Like they cry and they hurt, but they feel a sense of helplessness. There's not a lot of healthy anger in it. Um, The anger piece with codependence, which I'll touch on in a bit, is not expressed nearly enough, truth be told. Um, So, I mean, and I don't know if you have anything to add there, Annette, before we go on. Well, I think I think the whole thing about caretaking and and uh, the boundaries. <clears throat> um, I, I didn't know what boundaries were. Yeah, I, I either. I had no boundary. Mm-mm. You know, people could say or do whatever, and I would never say, um, "You won't talk to me that way," or "You won't do this," because where I was in a situation where that would have been not good for me. Right. Um, you know, there's uh I still could have set some boundaries that I didn't do and I should have set them early. I think that's it hurts much more it's much more difficult to set boundaries later on into a relationship. For instance with your kid. Mm-hmm. Um, you have no boundaries with your kids when they're young, but they hit five or six, <laughs> and mm-hmm. they start telling you what they're going to do. And you're going, well, that's not safe, or that's not... And they've not learned boundaries, and you've not learned to right. set them. And it comes as a big shock to them that you would tell them mm-hmm. no. And... Yep. Romantic relationships and friendships the same way. You know, it, it's, mm-hmm. if you do it early on, it's much easier. Agreed. And uh, I love that point because when we're talking about parents and codependency, you know, uh, Dr. A, who I mentioned earlier, Dr. Carl Anderson, um, he often talked about how you have basically from zero to five uh, mm-hmm. to instill intrinsic values in your kids and to really work on the boundaries and and all of these things and and the idea of really actually parenting them and learning what it is to launch a healthy adult versus keeping a happy child, Um, Mm -hmm. which obviously you want to launch a healthy one, is is to instill those things in them between the ages of zero to five because after five, you've kind of lost that opportunity Mm -hmm. to make it, to really make it an intrinsic value in them. And then what you're doing is damage control after five right. you know after that right. it's like you've you've right. basically like created a monster and now you're in damage control mode so and it's right. exactly the same and way you're you exactly right where you went wrong exactly exactly and uh yeah. and you're exactly right it's the same way with relationships and you know i think one reason i know as um as a dog mommy i can say that i know as mm-hmm. uh, for one thing you know with with dogs it's the same i mean the, the things that you teach them when they're a puppy versus you know but it's the same with children when they're little and they're babies and they're in our arms or, you know, they're they're in somewhat ways controlled by us, you know, because they're still little enough that and they're still cute and adorable. You let them get away with a lot of things that they shouldn't. Um, 
you know, because you think it's cute and adorable or because it's still controllable because they're still children, but you have to keep in mind that you're parenting them and like a bird has to teach their baby bird to fly, you are doing that. And if you think it's cute for them to just sit in a little nest and be completely dependent on you, that's actually very unhealthy for them because then they don't learn how to fly and their wings don't work. So it's important to remember that. Um. Yeah, I got that. Before, I got that problem with Charlie the dog. <laughs> I did not because I was not in a good place when I first got him, and no, I I failed to set boundaries with him, and now we're having issues, and <laughs> now it's damage control time. <laughs> now it's damage control time, and it's like, oh my god, I didn't have as much trouble with my kids. <laughs> so, well, um, because we only have 20 minutes left, I do want to quickly talk about the opposite of codependency, which is something I preach constantly to myself and to others. Um, anything I say to anybody else, trust me, I say it to myself 10 times more because I am, I'm definitely trying to be somebody that practices what I preach. But the, the opposite of codependency is self-care. Um, I can't preach it enough. I can't practice it enough. I try to constantly make sure that it's in my life. Um, But I want to list, and again, I am not reading anything. uh, Every once in a while I'll stop and and mention some things that she says, but I'm not giving you even a tiny percent of the information, which is absolutely invaluable in this book. So by all means, go purchase it and read more and get more information. But let me just go quickly through, you know, her chapters, which are, these chapters are the titles of basic self-care practices. Detachment. Don't be blown away by every wind. So basically, you know, don't overreact. Set yourself free, which is where the let go and let God comes from in addiction treatment. A lot of times when you go to a recovery meeting, you'll hear that. Um, That's where that comes from. Remove the victim. Um, that's a really important one. I, I kind of want to touch on that really quickly because some people might not understand what that means because they might be seeing themselves as the victim. And uh, although, yeah, you probably need to remove yourself from the situation at the same time if possible, but at the same time, um, when we're talking about removing the victim with regard to self-care, we're, um, at least Melody Beatty, is reminding you that um, the person that you're trying to rescue is in fact not a victim, and they are actually capable. And the only one making them incapable is you. Because when you do things for people and you don't let them grow and do it themselves, whether it be your spouse, your significant other, your sister, your brother, your mom, your dad, your kid, whatever, I mean, if, it's, if you don't let them do that, even if it's falling to rock bottom to realize that they need help, even if it's something that's difficult to watch, you are keeping them sick. You are rescuing them from their own growth and keeping them from being able to do things for themselves. Basically, you're handicapping them emotionally and stunting them developmentally, and it is detrimental to them and to you. So that's what that means by removing the victim. Don't, don't have that mentality for them. Uh, they, can, they can do it. Let them do it. And then worry about yourself. Undependence, which is something um, I wanted to touch on as well. Just some ideas of how to become undependent. Not independent, undependent. 
Finish business from our childhoods as best we can. Grieve if you need to, which we all do. Um, get some perspective there on those childhood issues. Nurture and cherish that frightened, vulnerable, needy child inside us, which we all have. Stop looking for happiness in other people. Can't stress that one enough. Happiness comes from in with it, within you. If you're looking for it on the outside, whether that be in people or a place or exercise or work or whatever it is, you're not going to find it. Um, it's not in anything except you. Four, we can learn to depend on ourselves. Maybe other people haven't been there for us, but we can start being there for us. That's key. Quit getting angry for other people not being there. Be there for you. Be your safe place. Be the person that you need the most and be there for you. And strive for undependence. Begin examining the ways we are dependent emotionally and financially on the people around us. And she also lists, and I just want to say these quickly. Again, get the book if you want more information. But um, characteristics of love versus addiction I think are very important. Love gives room to grow, separates interests. You have other friends and maintain other meaningful relationships. There's encouragement of each other's expanding, secure in your own worth. There's trust and openness. Mutual integrity is preserved, willingness to risk and be real. So everybody talks about real things and risks those feelings. There's room for exploration of feelings in and out of the relationship. There's ability to enjoy being alone. You get a lot of alone time. Alone time is healthy. It's good. It's not a sign of a bad relationship to be alone. It's a sign of a good one. Uh, you accept a breakup without feeling a loss of your own inadequacy, of your own adequacy and self-worth. And you want best, do what's best for your partner. Um, even if you're apart, you can be friends with them. Um, now, obviously, if you have left an active alcoholic or addict, no, you cannot likely be friends with them because they're not capable of friendship. But in a healthy situation, on both parts being healthy, that's what love looks like. Addiction, on the other hand, is dependent and based on security and comfort, use, intensity of need, and infatuation as proof of love. Um, total involvement. So there's a limited social life. There's neglect of old friends and interests. Preoccupation with others' behavior. So you're constantly focused on the other person's behavior. There's jealousy and possessiveness, fears and competition. One partner needs suspended for the others. So like one partner's needs are repressed while the other one, is, it's all about them all the time. There's self-deprivation involved. Search for perfect invulnerability. Um, eliminates possible risks. Reassurance through repeated ritualized activity. Intolerance, unable to endure separations, hang on even tighter, undergo withdrawal, loss of appetite, restless, lethargic, disoriented, agony. That's when there's alone time. So if somebody goes out of town for a while, this is what happens. If somebody's not available, you know, through the week, this is what happens. Um, they feel inadequate and worthless and often have a one-sided decision whenever there's a breakup. Um, and then there's a violent ending when those breakups happen. Uh, they usually hate the other person and try to inflict pain on them and even manipulate to try to get back together. Very, very different occurrences. And that's why a lot of times you'll hear people say this doesn't feel like love because it's really painful. It doesn't, and it usually isn't, and it usually means there was more of a codependent situation than a love situation. 
like Dr. A used to say, enabling, which is also codependency, is not love. It may it may feel like love or look like love to you because it's you know you're trying to uh, fix or care for, like you said, Annette. You're trying to fix things for the people and mm-hmm. do things for them. But enabling is actually anti-love because it keeps the person sick and it's very selfish because you're doing it, you know, to get either approval from the person you're doing it for or because you feel like it makes you a better person, a better spouse, a better significant other, a better friend, a better mother, a better father, whatever it is. Um, To continue on with the basics. Go ahead. One of the things that for me helped me the most is uh, the inner child stuff. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I did have Agreed. lots of inner child issues and mm-hmm. childhood issues that didn't come out until I was older and um, I was in my 40s. And so, or maybe 50s, God, that long. Anyway, um, the inner child stuff is really, really important. And one of the things that fascinated me as I was in a session and I had uh, some kind of a session with, with somebody and we were working on the issues with my dad and I was able to during that session see my dad as a child and at that moment I understood everything I needed to know about why he was who he was and it helped me move on from thinking, oh, it was my fault, it was, you know, he's me, thing. I couldn't say that about his, the child, mm-hmm. you know, him as a child. And that was really, really powerful. And then working on the inner child with myself, you know, just communicating with that inner child. And learning what she needs and how can I help her, mm-hmm. that was that was huge. Which we'll, we will do, and I, and I so love that you bring that up because it's one of my favorite topics and we'll do a show on that. And if, if listeners out there want that, by all means let us know because um, I would love to cover, I have a book called Healing the Child Within. I'm blanking on the author right now. I'll have to get back to that. So, uh, But in that particular book has helped me tremendously and certainly continued my growth with regard to uh, recovering from codependency. So, yes. By all means, healing healing the child within you is so important, and I would love to do a show on that as well for our listeners um, where we can touch on that more. Um, I want to continue with the basics of the self-care piece because uh, we're running out of time, so I'm just kind of going to skim through a little bit. But, um, again, go get this book. By all means, get the book. (laughs) It's an amazing read. It's a good read. It's it's not something you're going to – you know, want to put down, quite honestly. There's a lot of great information, and it will certainly help you take the first step to healing. Um, live your own life. It's key. you got to worry about you. Have a love affair with yourself. That one I, I actually have done and continue to do, uh, so to the point that I've often asked Annette, I mean, is it? could it be that I have, like, the reverse of an eating disorder now? Like, I see myself <laughs> as really more beautiful than I really am because I mean, I'm, like, really in love with myself. And anybody that knows me, that's, you know, they know that. And that's okay because, man, there was a time when I wasn't. I didn't know how to love me. And, I mean, I used to even write hateful messages to myself on the mirror, and that is no joke. 
um, you know, just you're fat, you need to run, you need to exercise. I mean, it was horrible. Um, beat up on myself constantly, and and I am so in love with me now, regardless of, of anything that happens, and that's a wonderful, freeing experience is to have a love affair with yourself and just really fall in love with you. Learn the art of acceptance. You know, that's kind of a reference to the stages of grief. Denial is basically where codependents live, right? Um, and then you, once you get out of that denial, and I'm about to touch on the anger part, you enter, once you start really getting recovery from your codependence, you're going to feel angry, very angry. And that's good. I remember my counselor telling me, I was so angry. Once <laughs> I started working on that, I was telling her, I mean, I'm so angry. And I've been angry before, sure, but I mean, this was a different kind of anger. It was a real anger. It wasn't a passive-aggressive, rage-filled, you know, overreactive anger. It was the core anger, you know, where there were things I wanted to say to people, things that had happened, that boundaries I wanted to set now, you know, that I didn't set before with the people that were long gone. Um, she looked at me, my counselor looked at me and said, good, you know, that's where we need to be. Anger is good. And anger is a gift. I, I quote Rage Against the Machine all the time with that because it is. So, you know, you go through the stages, denial is where you are, and then anger, bargaining, depression, and then finally acceptance, and that's where you want to be. And that's, that's, that is an art, the art of acceptance. Feel your own feelings. I'm going to come back to anger, so I'm going to skip it. Um, yes, you can think people who are codependent usually have a difficulty trusting their own decisions. They're constantly asking other people what they should do, what they think. And sometimes we'll ask three or four people the same thing over and over, get the same advice and not do any of it. Um, set your own goals, communication, always key, and then work a 12-step program and or get counseling. If you are going to get counseling for it, request a counselor with experience in education and addiction and codependency and family dynamics of addiction because not all counselors have that. I know that as someone who went to school to become a counselor. They don't all have training in addictions and codependency and family dynamics of addiction. So by all means, make sure you request that from a counselor. You have that right. And as a codependent who is struggling, who is just now reaching out to get a counselor, you might not realize that. But you do have the right to ask for what you need and what you want. So by all means, ask for a counselor with experience in addictions and family dynamics of addictions. Let me go back to the anger piece before we run out of time. Anger is a gift, and uh, frequently codependents and other people believe the following myths about anger. It's not okay to feel angry. Anger is a waste of time and energy. Good, nice people don't feel angry. We shouldn't feel angry when we do. We'll lose control and go crazy if we get angry. People will go away if we get angry with them. Other people should never feel anger toward us. If others get angry with us, we must have done something wrong. If other people are angry with us, we made them feel that way and we're responsible for fixing it. If we feel angry, someone else made us feel that way and that person is responsible for fixing it. If we feel angry with someone, the relationship is over and that person has to go away. If we feel angry with someone, we should punish that person for making us feel angry. If we feel angry with someone, that person has to change what he or she is doing so that we don't feel angry anymore. If we feel angry, we have to hit someone or break something. If we feel angry, we have to shout and holler. If we feel angry with someone, it means we don't love that person anymore. It means that person doesn't love us anymore. Anger is a sinful emotion. It's okay to feel angry only when we can justify our feelings. All of those are myths. All of that is untrue. Anger is a gift. It is okay to feel angry. It is okay to express anger. And there are healthy ways to express it. Um, a lot of the rage that I felt at one time because boy, did I break things, and boy, did I throw things. 
um, it was coming from my childhood, you know, the repressed emotions I had in childhood mm-hmm. and the boundaries that were not set. All of that was coming up. And if somebody tapped that button, that anger was released at an absolutely inappropriate level. Um, I've met a lot of people, especially in the positive thinking world, that believe that anger is not okay and that it's a waste of our energy and that it's not okay to feel it and that it's a bad thing. And that's a dangerous way to think because that is a setup for codependency. And if you are teaching your kids that, you're setting them up for codependency. Anger is an alarm that goes off when something is happening to us that is not okay. And it is something we need to listen to and then respond accordingly in a healthy way. Anger is a gift. And it's important for everyone to know that. I cannot stress it enough. Here are some suggestions for dealing with anger. Address any myths we have subscribed to about anger, the ones that I just mentioned. If any of those resonate, address those. Feel the emotion. Acknowledge the thoughts that accompany the feeling. Examine the thinking that goes with the feeling. Make a responsible decision about what, if any, action we need to take. Don't let anger control us. Openly and honestly discuss our anger when it's appropriate. Take responsibility for our anger. In other words, remember, no one can make you feel anything, and you cannot make someone else feel anything. But you certainly have feelings, and it's okay to have them. Talk to people we trust. Burn off the anger energy. Don't beat ourselves or others up for feeling angry. Write letters you don't even intend to send and deal with any guilt that you may have. Those are all good things, all very good things. And one of the things I found that once I, accept, once I accepted that it's okay to be angry, I can get over being angry really quickly. I don't have yeah. to hold on to it like I used right. to. And it, it makes it so much nicer to be be angry and then deal with it and then move on and not have to exactly. to worry about it. So yeah. Well, we're we're almost finished, which is it goes by so quickly. It seems like it always does. Yes. Hey, do you remember what we're doing next week? I do. And um and let me quickly just say segue into that again. Codependent No More is the book we're referencing today by Melody Beatty. You can find that online or obviously in your favorite local bookstore. Um, We are going to be touching on toxic parents next week, and we're going to be referencing another book, Toxic Parents, Overcoming Their Hurtful Legacy and Reclaiming Your Life by Susan Forward. Um, This is going to segue quite well with codependency. Those of you that grew up with toxic parents may understand this codependency quite a bit, and some of it may come from that experience of having toxic parents. So, If you have any questions or suggestions or concerns with this topic, by all means, contact us, facebook.com backslash girlpowerhour. Yeah, we want to hear from you. So contact us and tell us you either love us or hate us or anything (laughs) in between. We're okay with that. But, uh, okay, next week, toxic parents. I probably have a ton to say about that because I probably was one at one point in time. So, um, but thank you for joining us and show up next week. Listen, listen to the archives. Uh, we've got them all from when we were half hour shows. Um, 
and just go back and listen to some of them and let us know what you think. So we will be talking to you next week. Bye. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.